this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Everybody and welcome to Yes, the Outsiders. It is episode 110. The Outsiders powered by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. I'm Bryn Griffiths. He's Robin Brownlee. How you doing today? I am outstanding, Bryn. It feels like golf season is here. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about two teams that are going to experience golf season now. The Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames coming up in a little bit. We'll be chatting with Derek Wills from Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary. Now the Flames have had a couple of weeks to try to figure out what happened in that Battle of Alberta. We'll talk to Derek about that and anything else that kind of pops up into his brain. But right now, let's focus about the Edmonton Oilers. Out, finalized, done, swept in four by the Colorado Avalanche. Can I just say right off the top, uh, looking at all the social media stuff, fans have got to understand one thing, that the Edmonton Oilers are playing another team and that the other team was the Colorado Avalanche and that the Colorado Avalanche right now, I think, are the team that should be favored to win it all. They are playing great. They played great all season. This isn't only on the Edmonton Oilers. This is on the fact that they played a great hockey club led by a superstar, a guy that uh, I I like Nathan McKinnon, but, man, he plays a rough-and-tumble game. A couple of those checks might have been a little questionable, but at the end of the day, he is a hell of a hockey player, Robin. Well, yeah, I'm with you, Brennan, and, and anybody that's listened to us knows that I thought the Edmonton Oilers were capable of playing well enough to win this series, and I picked them to do so. Uh, I'm not going to go back on that, but what you've got to look at is what you've touched on. On paper and on the ice in this case, uh, the Colorado Avalanche are the superior team. While the Oilers could beat the Avalanche if things went their way, that other team has something to do with it. Oh yeah, and when and when they wind it up, and when they get revved up, um, they're tough to beat. And you know, you can say, well, I don't know if it was a four game series. Well, it goes in the books as a four game series. I think the teams were closer on the ice than what they are uh, with that four nothing series tally. But uh, man, that that that's a heck of a hockey club. And uh, while the Oilers don't feel like it now, uh, you know, we can touch on this, and I'm sure fans don't, uh, that's a third-round appearance and a third-round loss to a team that's got a real good chance to win uh, the Stanley Cup. I don't know if we should have a bunch of long faces in this town right now. No, and I heard a lot of people say, you know, they had a 4-2 lead in Game 4. Yeah, but they're playing Colorado. The the one thing that I constantly watched through all four games was I was was saying to myself, they're getting into a track meet and the Oilers are certainly capable of, uh, of outlasting a lot of other teams in a track meet, but you're taking on a team that's got a lot of track stars. So I just don't know if you can play that kind of hockey against Colorado and win. 
The other thing, too, is that it always seemed to be something that let the Oilers down in this series. In the previous series against the Calgary Flames, it always seemed to be somebody that was picking them up mm-hmm. in that series. But in this one, either the goaltending was not great at the right times. Uh, they were a lot more banged up because they, they had tough series against L.A. The series yeah. against the Calgary Flames was tough series as well. So they were obviously beat up. I heard somebody say once, if you're not hurting, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, by the time you get to the third round, then you haven't played in the third you, you haven't been playing hard enough. And for me, it always seemed like something let them down. Connor McDavid in game three, the most vital of all the games for the Oilers. Connor McDavid comes out and scores inside the first minute. And then Evander Kane, who I don't believe is going to play another game for the Edmonton Oilers. I don't believe he's coming back. That's just my gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, takes the penalty, which is clearly a check from behind. Uh, anybody's yeah. trying to defend that. And then no. people get into the, 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 get into, yeah, but what about the slew? I don't give a shit about the slew foot uh, on Nathan McKinnon. That's a different play. As for the actual penalty that, that Kane took, the timing could not have been worse. Oilers get this momentum. The crowd is into it. And now you're defending for five minutes. I know they killed it off, but it was an absolute showstopper for the Edmonton Oilers. I don't think they ever got it back after that. You know what? You're on the money, Bryn. And we chatted about this before we came on. Uh, that was absolutely a penalty and it was a stupid penalty to take. And it was, there was no need to make that play on Nazem Kadri. Uh, at that point, you can ride him uh, into the boards and, and nullify any chance he comes out with the puck. Uh, and what about this? And what about that? It doesn't matter. If the cop pulls you over and says you're doing 130 uh, in a 100-kilometer zone, you say to him, what about that guy over there? That doesn't work. What about that car going by right now? He's going to go, what about them? We're talking you uh, right now, and we're talking this hit. And that frustrates me because – it's almost like then you get the 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 fringe out there. Oh, it's a conspiracy. People don't want the Oilers to win. Well, there's a group of people that don't want the Oilers to win, and they aren't wearing striped jerseys or suits in the NHL front office. There are people wearing Colorado Avalanche uniforms, and that's what beat them. Not crappy calls, not inconsistent refereeing. Oh, newsflash. Officiating is inconsistent. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, but really, come on, people. It was, you know what? It's the third round for the first time in a long time since 06. It was a good ride. No, yeah, you don't go, yeah, that's good. We're happy with it. But sit back and say, that was a pretty good run. And uh, you look to the future and see what you need to do. Uh, to maybe take it one step further. I was thoroughly entertained by that. And judging by the crowds uh, inside the arena and everybody packing what became known as the Moss Pit, Edmonton had a hell of a good time. And really, isn't that what it's about? It should be all about that. But we, we've gotten into this thing where we have to overanalyze everything to the nth degree. Yep. And I, so so I watched the conclusion of the hockey game, and I everybody knew it was going to end like that. It was going to be a freaking dagger to the heart in overtime to end the season. But I think back to how I viewed this hockey club in the month of February, I didn't think they were going to make the postseason. They, they were absolutely scrambling, and then yeah. they got it together, 
And then you get to watch the magic through the first two rounds of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, and like I said, we could we could break it down and talk about how the goaltending let them down at points and how maybe the bottom six could have been better. Uh, there's a lot of different things. Darnell Nurse played on a torn hip flexor, I believe it was, through the entire yes. postseason. Injured it at the end of the season. How It's a skating sport. The hip flexor is kind of important last time I checked. So there's a lot of things. But can't you just sit back and enjoy it and have some fun, cheer on the team, I do understand that a little bit of analysis is part of the fun of yep. sports, but when people start getting into the uh, into the crazy stuff, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going. You know what? I got everybody's different. I've had a crazy two years. I know what's important, and you know what's not important at the end of the day, whether or not the Edmonton Oilers win the Stanley Cup. You got to <laughs> live your life first, and yep. uh, and sports is as I have. I told my good friend Bob Stoffer years and years ago, sports is the toy department of life. And I'm sure I heard it somewhere else, but it's true. Have some fun with the toys. Enjoy them. Yeah. T- on the ice, Brent, I will, t- we should talk about a few things though. Uh, and I, and I agree with you completely. The one thing that surprised me, I thought the Oilers might have a slight based on the numbers, uh, and how he felt when he woke up on any particular morning. I thought the Oilers might have a slight edge in goal uh, with Mike Smith over Darcy Kemper. Well, as it turns out, Kemper comes out, and I thought, whoop, that slight edge just turned into a bigger edge. Pavel Frankuz did not have a long track record in the playoffs, and the track record he did have it wasn't that great in terms of the numbers. And I thought, you know what? I know I picked them, but maybe the, I think they've got a better chance now. Well, for the first time in my life, I was wrong. It was it was like, are you kidding me? What's this, what's this Frank Who's guy doing? He was terrific. Yeah. And at the same time, Mike Smith went the other way. I like Mike Smith. Uh, I've said it many times. Not the long-term answer. We know that. Look at his birth certificate. But in one playoff year, could he get the job done? I thought he could. But you know what? He wasn't the cause of the Oilers losing that series. But he was erratic again at times, and he cost them at times. And what I thought was a bigger advantage turned into be no advantage at all. The other thing, too, the big gunners who came out in full force against the Calgary Flames, we'll talk about that with Derek coming up in a little bit, but yeah, clearly Leon was starting to uh, was starting to feel the pain from the pre- previous first two rounds. It was hard to watch a guy who has been just so dominant. And it, it, at some point, also Connor McDavid needed some assistance from other players, and it just it just seemed like they were out of gas against a team that is better than them. And uh, hey, it it works out. Generally, hockey works out the way it should. And for my money, it worked out the way it should. Because Colorado, Colorado's gone through a lot of hot, heartbreak to get to this point, right? Yeah. The Edmonton Oilers back in the 80s, I, I can't believe I'm going down this road. They had to lose in Los Angeles in the Miracle on Ice. They had to lose to the New York Islanders swept in the Stanley Cup final. They went through their heartbreak before they started to find a way to win. I think, uh, I think that the Edmonton Oilers can use exactly what they went through in this postseason and uh, try to put it towards good for another season. But there's a lot of teams want to win. Only one team wins at the end of the year. 
Yeah, there's, you know, when I look at this club and we don't know what's going to happen, nobody ever does. You can, you can hope a, a lot of the off season depends on uh, filling holes that need filling, uh, retaining people that need retaining. And, and we can certainly talk about how that's going to happen. Um, I want to touch briefly though, because we've talked about Leon Dreisaitl and I thought he, uh, it's remarkable uh, it's not only hockey, but a lot of it's hockey. That mentality of, you know, tape me up and put me out there. Leon Dreisaitl, to me, just showed staggering courage to or pain threshold. I mean, that was, what was it, Jason Smith wearing that jersey or what? Because that was ridiculous. But the other guy, and he took a lot of shit, is Darnell Nurse. I've, I, I haven't had one back in 100 years ago when I played sports but I've been around sports long enough to see players with uh, torn hip flexors, including, uh, you know, hockey guys and some baseball guys at the trappers including a, a speedster with them whose season, a big season for him on his road to the major leagues was derailed by a hip flexor injury because he just couldn't run. He couldn't accelerate. Imagine Darnell nurse playing all three series with that injury and people, Oh, you think he's, you think he's bad now? Wait till he's getting paid 9 billion, 9 million bucks a year. You know, that sounds to me like frustration on the fans part. And I sort of get it, but to play the game of hockey and have any physical contact with a torn hip flexor, it just blows my mind. Okay. And you know, we're going to be taking a look at RFAs and UFAs and all that kind of stuff over the next few weeks. I, I don't know how much we want to get into that here, but obviously yeah. the most notable one is Evander Kane. My gut feeling is he's not going to be coming back. I think we've seen him play his last game with the Edmonton Oilers. However, he seemed to be having some fun here. He was given the vote of confidence from both Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who according to some of the reports I've heard, pull him aside and said, we don't need you to be a great player here. We need you to be a leader here. And I felt that he started to lead the way. Uh, some of the penalties that he took bothered me. Uh, the Cadre one, uh, we got to be honest, Cadre is really good at pissing off guys. So if you had a free shot at him, you might take that. And the other thing too, the game happened so incredibly fast. If you've ever had a chance to watch the game down right along the boards, the decision is made in a split second. We at home get a chance to watch and go, why did he do that? Well, it's because he made the wrong decision really quickly. It's just the way the game works. But I, I don't think that we're going to see Evander back. Uh, and that's just my opinion. Robin, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I, I'm with you. I don't think, uh, you know, if Kane didn't have these off-ice issues, and I'm talking about bankruptcy, the rest of it we've heard. and Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I'm talking about on the ice right now. And some people say you can't separate it. I tend to agree with that, but I just don't want to get into that right now. Um, I, I was on the record. I wouldn't have signed him in the first place. They did on the ice. Uh, he was very good. He, let's be honest. He exceeded every expectation. Um, but I can't see him in his situation, what the financial situation is in saying, yeah, you know what? I love playing with Connor and I love playing with Leon and look, Hey, we, we went to the conference final. Uh, yeah. I'll take a little bit of a haircut on this one. 
Some players might be able to do that when they're at this point in their career and they've got X number of dollars uh, stashed away. Yeah. Uh, he, through whatever decisions he's made, doesn't have that. He's got to go where the money is. He's got to follow the money. The money in terms of, of dollars and term, it isn't here. It doesn't add up for the Oilers. They can't retain the other players that they need to retain and pay him the kind of dough that Evander can get in other cities. And that's the bottom line. If you're him right now, uh, it's the bottom line for a lot of players. They don't want to talk about, I love it here. I love it there. They love it where they're going to get paid. And Evander Kane is going to get paid somewhere. And I don't think the Oilers can afford to make Edmonton that place. Is that breaking news again? <laughs> players Thank want you. to go where they're going to get paid. What are you talking about? Hey, this has the, been like the Captain Obvious well, hour. You know, so <laughs> and who knows where we're going to go from here. The, uh, the the one thing, though, that you do have to take into consideration, there will be teams that are going to look at Evander's numbers from this past season and go, wow, he's back. However, he was, he was basically uh, playing with Connor McDavid. So how many of those points are because he played with Connor McDavid? How many of those points are because he's Evander Kane? No. Is that breaking news again? He's a good player. Was that? No, he's a, he's a, you know what? He's a really, he's a really good player and he did everything you could expect of him. And some, and, and somebody is going to pay him. I just don't think it should be or can be the Oilers. Okay. So at the end of a season, you always say to yourself, we probably aren't seeing him back next year. We aren't going to see that guy back next year. Miko Koskinen done. Nope. Uh, you don't think so? He's going to Switzerland. Yep. So, uh, and he's already got a pre-sign on that. The other thing too, Mike Smith back next season with Skinner is that, I don't know if that's going to make the fan base very happy here because one of the things that people have been bitching and whining about for the past season is they were worried about not the quality of the goaltending, the consistency of the goaltending. Because when Mike Smith was on, he was really on. He was not on against Colorado. That just contributed to what happened in the four-game sweep. But, uh, but I just start to wonder what's going to happen with the goaltending. Well, if, if uh, Stuart Skinner uh, can't become the goaltender that the Oilers seem to think he can become, and not necessarily in one week or one month or even one season, but give us a strong indication that he can be the guy, um, they're in big trouble because right now I don't mind – a combination of uh, Skinner at his age and where he's at in his development with uh, Mike Smith at his price point uh, with, and with his familiarity uh, with the team uh, uh, sort of riding shotgun as the backup or as the second, the back half of a tandem. That's would that be my first choice if I had nothing but money and nothing but cap room? Well, hell no, obviously not. Right. But given again, the, as is the case with Kane, um, who else is out there that they can get when they've got a kid that the organization knows in Skinner and a veteran that the organization knows in Smith? Uh, I think there's potential there with that tandem. Mike Smith has got to be gone after this contract, but I still think there's use there. And I, uh, in terms of a mentor for a guy like Skinner, and I don't think the wheels fall off him uh, in one off season. A lot of people were on Mike Smith because you know what? Here's the thing, Brent, and I've probably been guilty of doing it, and maybe you have too. I'm not sure. 
you state your, you, you make your case on a guy and no matter what else he shows you to prove you're wrong, you go, no, no, I don't care. I don't think he's good enough. You're, you stick with that. A lot of people didn't like the idea of Mike Smith at the start of the year. And you know what? There was nothing that he was going to do that's yeah. going to change yeah. their minds. I think he was fine. Uh, wasn't great against Colorado at times, but I'm not hanging what happened this season on Mike Smith. No chance, no way. I find that's the world we live in these days. Yes. See, my opinion, yeah. I'm always open to somebody giving me their thoughts on something because yeah. I my opinion will change. And somebody says, oh, that's wishy, wishy-washy. No, it isn't. I That can even go to political issues. You can convince me that your idea is a good idea, but you got to convince me of it. But I'm open to changing my opinion. The only thing I look at is you talk about Skinner and you talk about Smith. I look at that tandem and I say, yeah, I could probably get you through the season, but Skinner would have to be ready to win you series in the playoffs. I'm not sure they're quite there yet. And if they don't have a goaltender who can win them a series or two or three or four in the playoffs, the next season is going to be, they've set the bar really high for next season, but let's not even go down that road. But I just think that there are going to be some challenges coming up here for the general manager who went from being a guy that people were ready to get rid of three months ago to all of a sudden he's got, I don't want to use the term genius, but people say, well, yeah, that kind of worked out pretty well. You know, Duncan Keith status. I don't know what Duncan's going to do, whether or not he's going to come back for the second of his two years or, or just walk away. But uh, he seems like he's a pretty competitive guy. I'd be surprised if he doesn't, to doesn't come back for one more season. There's a lot of interesting little stories that will develop here over the next few weeks. And like you said, we'll, we'll, you know, talk about those all off season. I do want to say this though, Brian, I don't think we can get out of our first uh, post-mortem on the uh, Oilers playoffs without mentioning, uh, we don't want to talk success stories and let's not forget Zach Hyman when we get down the road with, uh, yeah. Uh, things that uh, the GM did well because look at he, he, you know what he faced some criticism and when you're not winning that's that's part of the deal. Uh, I think the biggest move that came uh, was and it wasn't easy because there was a relationship there uh, between Ken Holland and Dave Tippett was to make that call and bring in Jay Woodcroft and Jay Woodcroft. I think some people think of him as a as such a fresh-faced kid. He's not really a kid if you look at his birth certificate, but I tell you what, he's paid his dues. He's worked his way up from a video coach in Detroit under Ken Holland. I really liked what we saw from this team this year in many ways. It seemed to me, and please correct me if, if you didn't see the same thing, Bryn, this looked like a more of a play for the next guy uh, more a more cohesive team uh, under Woodcroft. Did you sense that at all? Yeah, I did. And and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there were a lot of guys on this team that had played for Jay down in Bakersfield. And so when he comes up and he's the next coach to fill in after Dave Tippett, a yep. lot of those guys are feeling really comfortable with, well, this guy knows what I'm all about. So now yep. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to play for my hockey life here. I can basically just go out and execute the way I execute. And I know because it was good enough down on the farm, it's going to be good enough for him here. I just got to raise my game a little bit. And it just felt like it was a comfortable pair of shoes that they put on with a guy who did not have a track record as a head coach in the National Hockey League at all. 
I think that the, that's the very first thing I'd be doing here in the next week or two is I'd be signing that coach to a new deal. To a deal, yeah. not a new deal. Yeah, and here's the thing, Bryn, and, and, and Oilers fans, I, I think, can relate to this. I never once saw Jay Woodcroft stomp around or show up a player. It was almost like, well, it became obvious it's not his style. Uh, he's true to himself. He'd be unhappy at times, but I think of that in contrast to another guy who came here with oh, as long a track record, but some success at the American Hockey League level. Um, oh, Dallas Akins. Yeah. And he came in and he strutted around and things were going to change and the old pictures were going to come off the walls because – this isn't about the past. It's about the present and reinventing the wheel and what the, I think everybody remembers the swarm defense, the smartest guy in the room, sort of, he had that aura about him and you know what? He's come back and he's in the national hockey league. So, so good for Dallas, but Woodcroft has sort of come in and, and, and quietly said without stepping all over everybody's toes, here's how I want to play. Here's how I want us to, to conduct ourselves. Let's not look too far down the road. And that's not an earth shattering idea. That's always one game at a time. That's been around forever, but he just has a manner that I mean, if I look at the meme and I see him standing there with his hand on his hip, waiting, leading up, that's Jay Woodcroft. Like let's not cause a scene. Let's just, let's just get things done. I'm sure that will be the meme that you're going to see uh, at the order's <laughs> office of him just standing outside of Ken Holland's uh, office waiting for his contract, which uh, I said, I think he should get because the players really seem to play for him. Players yeah. seem to really love him. That was pointed out quite nicely. Uh, Connor McDavid, uh, I've got to think, and I don't know, I haven't checked today because I'm now at the point where I only check my social media once a day, not every five minutes. And I'm just wondering how many Toronto messages have come up. Oh, saying, it's only a matter of time before it comes to Toronto where he can win. Oh, when did you get into the second round of the playoffs last? When did you get into the third round of the playoffs last? I think Connor's invested very heavily in what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers. I don't see him going anywhere. Uh, but, you know, that's just my opinion. But, uh, and the, you know, so and all the uh, Flames and not Flames and Oilers, but Flames and Leaf fans chirping about, well, you know, you got to now you wonder about Tyson Berry. Was that a good call? Uh, the other one that really bothered me more than anything was Leaf fans going after CC, who I thought had a great season and just started to run out of gas. In the third run of the in the third round of the playoffs, I I, I really like the way he played. I think he was probably their best defenseman through the season. But here again, it's easy for other fans to chirp in other markets when they don't watch these guys play every night like we uh, we do because we're in this market. No, no, Bryn. I think it would be easy to throw back. And if I was a you know a cheap shot guy, I might say something. I'm not, you know, but I might say, well, the Leafs probably could have used Cody CC and Zach Hyman this year at times. But uh, yeah, gee, that didn't happen. So you know what, Cody CC, I thought was a pleasant surprise. I hadn't seen much to be honest, and he did wear down. I think. Um, I think he had to take on a little more With than Darnell. You yeah, then yeah. you'd like him to have to with Nurse hobbling around. And uh, um, you know what? Those two guys, and again, we'll get into it as this offseason unfolds, but 
I tell you what, there, there was some real good, you know, in hindsight, don't we always use hindsight in this business? There were some real good moves made by Ken Holland last summer, and there'll need to be some more this summer, but I tell you what, I think there were some real finds there, and um, I think there's room to grow. And the Connor thing, you know what? If somebody runs that crap again, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I, that, that's that's going to be block city. It's troll stuff. On, on, and I'm talking about whether a media outlet guy. Oh. I, I, I'm not reading that crap again. If you're if you're doing that after a series like this, where McDavid busted his ass um, and got a lot closer than anybody in the city that everybody seems to think he wants to go to did, um, it's just BS. And and they're just, yeah, don't and I thought he looked like a disappointed player. Nothing more nothing less don't read anything more into it because you're really reaching and and uh it's a bit of a joke at this point gonna get to Derek wills coming up here in a couple of moments from calgary to get their spin on things i'm sure he's got a thought or two on this oilers avalanche series as well but uh you know you can break down the edmonton oilers all you want but at the end of the day it really doesn't matter you know what matters robin and this is the one thing that has got to ground people is you got to think about the right people at the right time, like Ben. Ben was so much fun during this postseason. I can't begin. I'm going to start to choke up. Um, it, that was fun for me. Yeah. So well, Ben, hang on. No. I I just uh, I wish only the best stuff for Ben. It's, and that's what really matters here. And you, Bryn, you know as well as anybody else. Uh, and better than most. Um, I had a chance uh, behind the scenes a little bit to just exchange some messaging with Ben's dad. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to have him there, we don't know what's going to happen with that little guy. And, and, and you know, sports is good. We, it, it doesn't always have to be about the worst possible biggest drama in life. But when you see a little guy like that, and I don't you, you know what I got to admit, I love that big chain, big medallion thing that was happening this year. <laughs> they were they were everywhere. But to see that little guy with it on yeah. and showing up at the games and um, I hope he comes through this and, uh, you know, because the Oilers will. Uh, the Oilers are going to play another season. Yep. Uh, they'll be better or they'll be worse. We'll see how it plays out when it comes. But uh wouldn't it be great to see uh, a little guy like Ben Stelter uh, healthy when they start next season? I'm with you. You know, so so I had my cancer scare at age 60, and I don't know where I'm going with it. But then I look at a little kid like that who is just enjoying life as much as he possibly can at age five. Yeah. And I think to myself, you know what? I've had a great run. I just hope that he does too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so anyway, like I said, at, through all of it, don't lose too much sleep over your team losing out in the postseason. You got to remember. And the other thing, one other thing, the other teams, and this goes to the LA Kings, this goes to the Calgary Flames. And I saw the one last night from the Colorado Avalanche supporting Ben. And all it does is it shows you that the hockey family and the hockey community, they're all together as one. You know, we play each other, we play this team, we play that team. But everybody was so supportive of Ben through this whole thing. I just, uh, you can't yeah. help but being inspired. And at the end of the day, you recognize that, you know what, they might be the big bad flames or they're the, the evil, 
evil empire that is the Colorado Avalanche, and those are the bad guys wearing the black hat from Los Angeles, but really they're not. They're teams that the Edmonton Oilers play, and I think their support towards Ben was pretty fantastic. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll hold it together. Uh, we'll take a break, and then we'll uh, come back, and we'll talk to the guy who's been watching a lot of Flames hockey recently. So, hey, let's end on a happier note here, Robin, okay? <laughs> Joining us now on the Outsiders is the radio play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills from Sportsnet 960, the fan. How you doing? You've had a couple of weeks to kind of assess everything that's happened with the Flames, but uh, what's the feeling? I was down there last week, got some interesting thoughts, but what about you? Yeah, I'm feeling all right. Uh, as I told you before we went on air, my dog's a little bit under the weather, so worried about her. But yeah, I've had a couple of weeks to decompress now and Listen, I love calling hockey games more than anything else in life. So it's, it's always sad for me when the season comes to an end and I don't get to die love. But, you know, it was a heck of a season for the Flames. And I know that people in Calgary and, and Flames fans everywhere are disappointed that they lost the first Battle of Alberta in the playoffs since 1991. But I, I still look at the season as a success. It was just the, the second time they've made it to, to the second round of the playoffs since 2004, the third time since they won the Stanley Cup in 1989. So... You know, getting over the hump of getting to the playoffs and winning around was big for them. And, you know, unfortunately, they lost to their provincial rival, but uh, hopefully they'll get another crack at the Battle of Alberta, maybe as soon as next season. Uh, I don't think it's a stretch that it could happen. Well, you know, Derek, we when we talked about the Oilers last night, too, I mean, Mike Smith said something and, and it applies to all teams. Uh, there's no participation medals. So, well, you might appreciate a good season and the Flames unquestionably had a very good season. In the here and now, it gets a little bit, uh, it's a little bit tough to talk about how good everything was when you're still disappointed. But this is a team uh, that showed a lot of positive things from a lot of different players. And I think there's something to build on here. I don't think that's being too positive, is it? I don't think so. And, you know, as far as Mike Smith is concerned, uh, it, it was actually tough for me to watch him after the game last night because I was uh, probably the biggest Mike Smith defender when he was with the Flames. Yeah. You know, everybody gave him such a hard time for making a mistake one out of every 100 times that he played the puck. But I talked to enough managers and coaches and players to know that he does way more good than bad with that puck. So I, I felt the need to, to be one of the few people that defended him here. And, and I just love that burning desire in him. And, and we saw it when he was with the Flames, and we're still seeing it now that he's with the Oilers. So I felt for him last night. But I, I certainly think there was a lot to build on for the Flames this season. I'm not sure they would have won the Pacific Division if the Golden Knights uh, hadn't uh, had the multitude of injuries that they did, especially to some key players throughout the season. But the fact that they were able to find a way to, to win the Pacific division was really impressive. But I think what impressed me the most guys was the steps taken by individual players and by the team collectively under Daryl Sutter. I really didn't know what to think when they made that coaching change with 30 games to go last season. Mm -hmm. I was Jeff Ward's road roommate uh, my first year in the American Hockey League when I was with the Hamilton Bulldogs he was the assistant coach under Claude Julian and uh, <laughs> I was the green first year broadcaster so you know I I've always had a soft spot for Jeff because he taught me so much and I didn't know if they were making the right move going from Jeff to Daryl but in hindsight hey 
He uh, won the Jack Adams. He was first on my ballot and he did a heck of a job helping guys take another step. And you know, I think at the top of that list would be Johnny Gaudreau, who's always been great with the puck and great offensively, but he was so much better without the puck and so much better defensively this season because Daryl got him to commit to playing the right way and helped him understand that if you're good without it, you're going to have it more. So the fact that he put up 115 points and was a, a way better 200-foot player this year, I think is the best example of some of the steps that individual players took, but just playing a different brand of hockey and having some team toughness, which isn't something the Flames have had certainly during my tenure calling the games, but you know they had four legitimate heavyweights in Milan Lucic, Erica Branson, Nikita Zadorov, and Brett Ritchie. And, and I'm not sure if those guys made the rest of the team feel bigger and tougher, but they played that way. Uh, they had the lead more than any team in the league during the regular season. And until the second round of the playoffs, did a pretty good job protecting or building on those leads, which uh, unfortunately they couldn't do against the Oilers. But I do think they took some big steps. And, you know, the Avalanche, I think, are a great example. Sometimes you have to lose before you can win. And the Avalanche had a hard time getting over that second round hump. Well, they did it this year, got over the third round hump as well. And now they're off to the Stanley cup final. And I think could be the next Tampa Bay lightning. That's how good I think the Colorado avalanche are set up outside of maybe between the pipes. But uh, yeah, sometimes you got to win before you lose and you got to learn some hard lessons along the way. And, now, the Flames had a good year. Uh, they're not satisfied with it, and they'll try to take another step next season. Hey, let's work backwards before we start talking about the season. Let's talk about the postseason. What do you think happened here? Because we have a net miner that everybody said, oh, the Oilers had his number. Well, when he was with the Vancouver Canucks, it was the other way around. He had the Oiler number. But something I, – I, I can't quite figure out exactly what happened. Talked to a couple of fans in Calgary this past week – and these are guys that I trust and believe, and they're pretty objective. And they use the word humbling twice because after having a great season, you don't want to lose to Edmonton, they said. However, it, it they said it just seemed like uh, they kind of uh, – folding is not the word to use. It's just that they seemed to run out of gas, which is exactly kind of how the Oilers looked in the series against Colorado. But what's your assessment? What happened with the goaltending? And what happened to the Flames in that series? And then we'll kind of work backwards into the season here. Well, one thing I was worried about going into the Battle of Alberta for both teams was that whoever won the series, that would be their Stanley Cup. Yeah. So I do wonder if that was a factor for the Oilers. Uh, I was certainly worried about that being a factor for the Flames. But what I think happened, I, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, number one, you look at the Flames' first-round series versus the Stars. It was an absolute grind. And even though he didn't get probably as much credit as he should have, Jacob Markstrom was fantastic in that series for much different reasons than Jake Ottinger was Yeah, because the flames played to their identity. And, you know, I go back to uh, a preseason conversation I had with Ryan Huska, uh, one of the flames assistant coaches. And I asked him, how do you want the team to defend? And his answer has stuck with me since then. He said, I don't want the team to defend. I want the team to check. And that's how the flames played this season. Uh, and, the best way I can describe it is defending is playing on your heels and allowing teams to come at you, kind of like the Flames did against the Oilers. Checking is playing on your toes and aggressively trying to kill plays, get the puck back, and take it down to the other end of the ice. And I think the Flames were better at that than any team in the league this season, and that's probably the biggest reason why they finished first in the Pacific. I, I think they played to their identity in the first round against the Stars. You look at some of the shot totals. I mean, they had 67 shots on goal 
in game seven. Jake Ottinger was playing out of his mind. He was playing at a level that I haven't seen a goaltender play at in a long, long time. And the Flames, I give them a lot of credit. And this is one of the steps that I believe they took because I think it would have been really easy for a less experienced team to get frustrated during that series because they were doing a lot of things right and they just couldn't put the puck past that guy. But they stuck with it. And it took them until overtime in game seven to finally find a way to get over against the stars, but they played to their identity. They didn't defend and play on their heels. They checked and they played on their toes. So fast forward to the second round against the orders game one, the flames take a six, two lead. And I mean, the orders were horrendous in that game. Smith comes in, uh, gives up three goals in six minutes and five seconds. Not exactly the start you want to a best of seven battle of Alberta. They yank him. They put Miko Koskinen in. He's not any better. But at the other end, Jacob Markstrom wasn't any better. I think that was the worst game I've ever seen him play with the Flames or with the Canucks or with the Panthers. He was awful. But the Flames were better in front of him than the orders were in front of Smith and Koskinen. Yeah, slightly. So, yeah, slightly, right? I mean, you go from 6-2 to 6-6. Yeah. And then the Flames score three unanswered and win 9-6. But a couple of things happened in that game that I think were important, guys. Number one, even though they lost... McDavid and Drysaddle were dominant offensively. And I think that really built their confidence and got them going. And then the other thing, this is something that really didn't hit me until four or five days after the series was over. The Flames did something to Connor McDavid in that game that's very difficult to do. And one of my favorite quotes ever is, it came probably back in the late 80s, early 90s, but uh, and I wish I remember who said it, but basically they described trying to hit Wayne Gretzky, like trying to hug fog. I I would say the same thing about Connor McDavid for different reasons because of his quickness, because he's so shifty and good on his edges. They've never really been able to make good contact with him. They nailed him three or four times in game one. And there's an old saying, let sleeping dogs lie. I think they made him mad. I really do. And then he comes back in game two and he was more physical in that series than I've ever seen him before. So and, and with McDavid, kind of like with Nathan McKinnon back in their 2019 first-round series against the Avalanche, McKinnon's speed in game one, even though the Avalanche lost 4-0, put the Flames back on their heels. I think McDavid's speed in game one did the same thing. So a team that checked and didn't defend all year became a team that defended instead of checking. And they got away from their identity. They got into run-and-gun games, which better suits the orders than the Flames. and. I think that's in the end what cost them. I think it's Steve Casper, by the way, that might have said that uh, back when the Oilers were taking on the Bruins, but I can't remember. Actually, I I think it was Brad McCrimmon. It was one of those guys guys, on that Boston team. uh, A couple guys said something along the same lines, but it's one of my favorite quotes ever because uh, you guys knew I grew up an Oilers fan, a diehard Oilers fan, and I lived and died with Gretzky, and it, it just blew me away. You know, he'd be standing there, about to make a play, and a guy would have him right on the tracks. And he'd just subtly turn, and the guy would go face first into the glass. And, you know, people used to say, well, guys don't hit Wayne Gretzky because they have to deal with Dave Semenko. And that was certainly one of the reasons why guys probably didn't <laughs> take runs at him. Yeah, but I also think it's because he made guys look stupid. Don't you? Oh, well, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they want to lunge. Hey, you know, it's funny we, because you, you talk about this. The, the Oilers, when the last time they played Colorado was in 1998. And I asked Billy Guerin before game seven, 
how do you handle Peter Forsberg? He says, the one thing you can't do is you can't go. He says, you can't go at him because what he'll do is he'll chip the puck to an area and then skate right by you and you're beaten. <laughs> he says, so you got to make sure that you let him make the first move, which is what you would have to do with Wayne Gretzky. And waiting, w- waiting those superstars out, that's hard to do. It, it uh, is. And you know, I'm glad you brought up Peter Forsberg because one of my all-time favorite players to watch, I'm not sure there's ever been a player stronger on their skates oh. than him. I mean, Yermer Yager, a, a bigger man, was certainly really hard to kind of knock off balance, but... That's another thing that I think Connor McDavid has taken to another level this season. You know, there were a few instances in the Battle of Alberta. One uh, involved Nikita Zadorov, who's 6'6", 235. And it looked like he had McDavid right where he wanted him in, in open ice. And McDavid just kind of dug in on his edges and Zadorov went down and McDavid stayed on his feet and made a play. So <laughs> it, it, it's funny because... I never thought I'd be comparing Connor McDavid to Peter Forsberg, different players. Yeah. But I must admit, when I saw that, I'm like, geez, guys, strong enough to feel like Forsberg used to be. Well, Derek, when you when you talk about Connor McDavid, there's this. Um, you can hit him and you can physically overmatch him. But the thing is, if you piss him off, Mm-hmm. He will go out. He he will beat you just in normal mode. If you push that button that says, now I'm mad, now I'm going to show you, uh, you're in trouble. Forsberg used to do it. He was one of the first guys with the old reverse hit that is more common now. He could, there's two things he would do. He could dive and frustrate you uh, because he got close checking. But other times, He'd hit, hit you before you hit him. Yeah. Pavel Bure used to do that in Vancouver. Every once in a while, he'd clean somebody's clock with a charge and put a shoulder cap on the point of their chin, and that would buy him room because he wasn't a big man. McDavid, I mean, there were times not only against Calgary but against L.A. where it was, I don't even know how you described it, it was like supernova stuff. It was like the best guy in the league going up a whole other notch. Yeah. I don't know how you stop that, uh, if whether you're the Calgary Flames or anybody else. Yeah, it's it's a great point. And Matthew Kachuk's really good at those reverse hits as well. Yep. And let, let me ask you guys. So one of my theories is that the Flames made McDavid mad with how they played him physically in game one. Do you guys see it the same way? Yeah, I do. I do but I think the one thing that, that I felt in this series, we could talk about Drysidle and and Connor all we want. I thought I expected better goaltending out of Markstrom. It didn't. It didn't happen. But and this is a compliment. This is not a negative thing. But Michael Backlund, I felt, was the best Calgary Flames player in that series. And I I love Michael. I like the way he plays the game. Uh, I know he's intense. He's a great competitor. However, he can't be your number one player. Yeah. And th- they just didn't get enough out of Johnny in that particular series. I don't no. know if he's tired or what it was. I don't know if it was so much the Mc- McDavid and Dreisaitl just took it to the next level against Calgary and they didn't have a response for it. But I tend to agree with you, Derek. I think in game two, game two was really the flipper because when they uh, the Flames had built up the 2 nothing lead and the Oilers came racing back and they had all this confidence. And all they, all you got to do is win one of those first two and it's yeah. series on, and then you come back to this place, which was a nut house. And 
Like I said, that was the beginning of the end for the Flames, but I hate it to overshadow what I thought was a sensational season, but the problem is it's Edmonton against Calgary in the playoffs, and that's what you're going to be always remembered yeah. by, right? Yeah, it is, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly about Michael Backlund. I thought he played better hockey in the playoffs than he's ever played in his life. Uh, wow. I've been calling his games for eight years. I thought he was phenomenal. I thought that line with Andrew Mangiapane and Blake Coleman was by far their best line against the Oilers. As far as the first line, Elias Lindholm looked a little tired to me. He plays a lot of tough minutes. He's yeah. always going up against the other team's top players, does a lot of heavy lifting as the glue guy on that line and as the guy who finished second in the Selkie, Selkie Trophy race this year. Uh, I thought Johnny Gaudreau made plays. I thought Matthew Kachuk really struggled. Uh, I, I thought he struggled for most of the first round. He was really good in game one against the Stars and then didn't like the next five games. He scored a big goal to tie the game at two in game seven. Uh, scored a hat trick in game one against the Oilers. And I didn't notice him enough after that. He's a unicorn. He can really impact games when he's at his best. And he wasn't at his best. Um, I would say a, a defense pairing that looked elite during the regular season with uh, Noah Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson. They fell off a little bit. The, the Flames really did miss Chris Tanev. Yeah. They really did. He yeah. settles down whoever he's playing with, whether it be Quinn Hughes, Noah Hannafin, or this season, Oliver Shillington. Uh, I thought playing at 50% or whatever he was at in games four and five, he made a real difference. Um, and Jacob Markstrom. It's the most important position in the sport, maybe in any sport. And he finished, up, or he's going to finish second in Vesna Trophy voting. And I think that's safe to say. Phenomenal during the regular season. Great in the first round, even if the guy at the other end, Jake Ottinger, was better. But I think he'd be the first guy to tell you not good enough against the Oilers. And if you're going to beat the Oilers, you're probably going to need very good, if not great, goaltending. And I hate to say it because I love the guy, and I think he'll be better for what happened this season. But he wasn't good enough either. And Derek, when I looked at Ma Matthew Kachuk, I like him as a player. Every team would like Matthew Kachuk on, on their roster. I didn't know what you said about the Dallas series, how he was very spotty. Um, I thought he went away. I didn't notice him after the uh, episode with Evander Kane, where it was, you want some money, you want some money. I th that seemed to fire up Kane, uh, and I didn't really notice Matthew after that. I'm with you. Not enough, certainly. And he's such an important player for them because he can do so many different things. And he didn't look right to me for most of the star series. And I think it goes back to game one where he decided to get into a fight with John Klingberg. Yeah. And you know, the question I asked was why you've got Lucic, Gabranson, Zadorov, and Richie. Let yeah. them do the fighting, right? That that's part of what their job is. The flames need Kachuk on the ice, not in the penalty box. And he injured his hand in that fight with Klingberg. So I think that was a factor for him throughout the playoffs. But yeah, it was it was tough to watch at times because you know what an impact he can have on games. And when he's not, uh, I think it impacts that entire line. And I think it impacts the entire team. Now, again, you hope that as a young player, you'll learn from this experience and uh, maybe just try to stay on the ice next season. And, and I thought he was better at that during the regular season, guys, because I thought he played completely distracted last season. And I think it's one of the big reasons why he was a 40-goal scorer and a 100-point producer this year is that he stuck to playing hockey. And when he does that, he's, he's really good. I don't know what I enjoyed more, watching Daryl coach behind the bench with this team this past season or watching those post-game press conferences, which 
I thought he was actually quite masterful at. I kind of enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. when, you're, when you're on the ground and dealing with it every day, I think sometimes it can be a challenge. And I know I won't speak for anybody else, but, you know, I wouldn't ask a question unless I actually had a question I needed an answer to because I didn't want to get kicked in the teeth if yeah. he was in the wrong mood. And I learned very quickly with Daryl, and you guys have dealt with him longer than I have, but I learned very quickly with Daryl, who I really respect, and I had some great conversations with him off the air, which I learned a lot from, but sometimes he uses the media as pawns. What? Because no yeah, way. I know this, this, is, this is breaking news, I know, but <laughs> you can't take anything personally because you could ask him what color the sky is, and let's say it's a beautiful day and it's a bright blue sky, he might tell you it's orange because he wants to push a certain narrative. So you can't, if he kicks you in the teeth, yeah. you can't take it personally. No. It, it's nothing against you. It's that he has a certain message that he wants to deliver to the media and in turn to the fans. And sometimes I would say to the team, through yes. us. So it, I learned pretty quickly not to take it personally. I get a kick out of him just like you guys do. Um, but I know for some, <laughs> it was a challenge to, to do it day in and day out. Well, you brought well, something up, though, because I, I remember in the satellite hot stove or the, the hot stove lounge in the, uh, underneath the, uh, the seats at, at the Saddle Dome, he was coming back with the L.A. Kings coaching. I was a Hockey Night in Canada game, and I went in early, really early always on a Saturday morning and having a coffee. And he, of course, liked to come in. He came in early because he wanted to see all the support staff. He loved the people who worked in the concession stands. He loved the guys who were the security on the gate. He came in extra early just to say hi and have his conversations with those people. He saw me in there. He comes in, he chats. I said, do you want a coffee? Sure, I'll have a coffee. He sits down in the, in the leather chair. We have this great conversation about life on the farm and how you got to watch out for those coyotes when, when <laughs> uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we start talking about the, you know, the game and it actually gave me an interview. And then I watch him about an hour later with the rest of the media and all of a sudden the wall went up yeah. and it just told me there's a different guy there. And what we see is not the guy that is really the guy. Does that make yeah, any he, sense? hundred percent. He'd give you the shirt off his back. He really would. Oh, yeah. um, I remember when my broadcast partner, Peter Labardius got sick. It was in my second season. So it would have been 2015, 2016. Uh, and ended up missing nine games at the end of the season. I bought this giant card, like one of those massive cards, and I got as many people to sign it as I could. And Daryl wrote a, a beautiful message in there for him. And I didn't even really know Daryl all that well at that point in time, but I kind of explained what was happening, and he was more than happy to do it and offered his best wishes. So, yeah, Daryl is uh, hes a hardworking farmer. You know, he'll tell you that. And uh, I really do think that his intensity is one of the things that helped the Flames take another step this season because the way you described him is perfect, Bryn, because he, if you get him in the right moment, will sit down and have a coffee or a, I'm sure a beer with you and, and tell stories. And uh, one time this year, uh, I know uh, what a huge fan of the game he is. So I was going through some old books of my dad's and I found a program from the 1974 Canada-Russia series. And it was hilarious to look through this thing because... It, just the ads for cigarettes and booze yeah. and like, it was crazy. But um, he, he opened this book and started reading about all the players and I said, so he gave it back to me. I said, no, that's for you. I, I thought you'd really get a kick out of that. And he's so grateful for that, but he flips a switch. Oh yeah. 
So when he gets into game mode, good luck to you, right? But I really do think that's one of the things that helped the Flames take that step this season is that he created that mindset within the team as well. You know, there's, there's time for sitting down and having a coffee or a beer and telling stories, and then there's time to focus on the game. Yeah, so he would, as you just did, he would get the blinders on, and once you get to know him a little bit, you know when to approach him and, and when to just let him do his job. Well, with, with Daryl, too, if you want to think that he's the uh, the country rube, oh. uh, you do so... <laughs> You do so at your own peril because he knows exactly what he's doing, exactly the way he wants to have his team play. And the other part of it is this. He takes a page when you talk about messaging, whether it's to the media or to the team. Glenn Sather was doing that a long time ago. And if he wanted somebody to know something, he'd, you know, hey, what do you think about the way so-and-so is playing? (laughs) He'd ask the media the questions and the guys would start going, yeah, what do we what do we think about the way he's playing? And then you'd go ask the player. Yeah, and sure mm-hmm. enough, now he's on alert. <laughs> Daryl's a very smart guy. And I know it's not why he coaches, uh, but I was kind of happy to see him uh get the Adams because he's not a guy who campaigns for that kind of thing. No, as a matter of fact, when he was asked about it before he was announced as the winner of the award, he basically said that. He doesn't need that on his resume and he would prefer for a young coach to get it. And what I thought was funny is that when his brother, Brian presented him with the award virtually, Brian looked a lot happier than Daryl, didn't he? Yeah. (laughs) I think Brian was really proud of Daryl and Daryl's like, ah, I don't really need this, but thanks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, he, he coaches to win Stanley cups. Right. And again, that's part of what he's done to change the culture. And then that word gets over years. I know, but, He's changed the culture, changed the mindset of the Flames. It's not about having a good regular season and getting your points. It's not about winning a round. It's about winning a Stanley Cup. But you've got to build to get there. And I think if the Flames can bring back their key unrestricted and restricted free agents and make a couple of tweaks, then I think that they're set up to be a perennial playoff team. And you've got to take take steps once you become that type of team i i do apologize because i was not ready for it but i am now so let me just do this appropriately here breaking news media (laughs) used as pawns by head coach of calgary flames anyway i i just think it was a a fun season to watch it ended uh poorly because it was the edmonton oilers that they got beat by but now we got to look ahead a little bit and what's going to happen? It's going to be a fascinating summer for you, I have a feeling. Yeah, and by the way, all coaches use media as pawns. Some what? just do it differently. Yeah, yeah more breaking news. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's he's a little bit more experienced in how to do it to, uh, to get what he needs. So, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating summer, guys. Uh, obviously, number one on the Flames list is Johnny Gaudreau. Yep. Uh, I am confident that they can get a deal done. But I must admit, I'm less confident than I was a couple of months ago. I was literally probably at 90-10 or 95-5 at the, the percentages that they would be able to re-sign him long-term. Why? I wouldn't say I'm 50-50, but I'm closer to 50-50. I, I just think as an unrestricted free agent, yeah. the closer you get to being able to take offers from 32 teams, the more appealing that has to be. And... I I guess the one suitor that would scare me the most is the Flyers. He was born and raised just outside of Philadelphia. 
grew up as a Flyers fan. Claude Giroux was his favorite player. Flyers traded Claude Giroux. I wouldn't call them clones because they play different positions, but there are a lot of similarities between Gaudreau and Giroux. Yep. And, and that's a team that could probably use some star power. So, you know, if I'm the Flyers, I and, and Johnny Gaudreau gets to, to free agency, I'm probably making him an offer that I hope that he can't refuse. But I'm not sure he gets there, guys, because I know how badly the Flames want to sign him. Mm-hmm. You know, Blake, Blake Coleman said something really interesting in, in his postseason media avail about a conversation that he had with Johnny. And Blake basically said, you have an opportunity to create an incredible legacy in Calgary. And, and I think if Johnny Gaudreau resigns, it's only a matter of time before he becomes the Flames' all-time scoring leader. Uh, there will be a banner, maybe not if, if he signs somewhere else in free agency this year, but if he signs long-term with the Flames, there will one day be a banner hanging from whatever the name of the new arena is going to be. And I, I think that he can be on the very short list of the greatest Calgary Flames of all time. Lanny McDonald, Al McInnes, Joe Newendike, uh, Jerome McGinley, Mika Kiprasov, and Theo, maybe even Theo a Flurry. Theo Flurry, Theo Flurry, Flurry yeah, my golfing buddy. Yeah. Um, so that and the fact that the Flames can give him the eighth year is why I'm confident that they're going to get a deal done. So we'll see. But that's the big one. And then you've got three RFAs. Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Majapani, and Oliver Shillington. Obviously, Kachuk is the big fish. And I don't know what's going to happen there. I really don't know, guys. Uh, I would be really surprised if Andrew Majapani wasn't back. Oliver Shillington's another interesting one because the Flames have two young left-shot defensemen Mm -hmm. in the system. And Connor Mackey, who they're really high on, and Yusuf Alamaki, who isn't the blue chipper that he once was, but I'm not convinced that he can't be uh, a second or third pairing defenseman moving forward. So they've got two left shot guys that they could probably slide in on that pairing with Chris Tanev. And I'm not sure that there wouldn't be a drop off, but I don't think there would be a massive drop off. So depending on what happens with Gaudreau and Kachuk, they might not be able to afford uh, some of the luxuries that they had this year. So it's going to be really interesting with those uh, that one big UFA and then the three RFAs. Derek, do you think uh, Matthew Kachuk maybe cost himself some money with the way the playoffs went this year? No, I don't. Okay. 40 goal scorers and 100 point producers get paid. And if, if the Flames aren't willing to do it, someone will else be. will. And yeah. all he has to do is sign uh, a one-year deal with the Flames to get him to UFA. And then he's got 31 other teams that I'm sure would be interested. So I don't think that it's going to cost him in the long run. Does it give you pause if you're the Flames? Maybe. But, no. I mean, you, you have to get to the playoffs to win a Stanley Cup. Correct. And yeah. he obviously helped them get there and win the division. Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for your time today. This is great. Uh, good luck with the dog. And you're off to Mexico Thank for you. how many weeks? Oh, weeks? What do you think I am, a millionaire? <laughs> I'm going for five nights. That's it. But you know what? It's uh, My girlfriend and I have been together for almost two years. Okay. So we're a COVID couple. So we've never gone on a vacation. We've been to, to BC a bunch, which is great, but this will be our first actual uh, get on a plane and go on a vacation trip. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, at the end of the season, I don't know about you guys, but when you're covering a team day in, day out, it's a grind. 
one that we all love, oh, yeah. but it's a grind mentally and physically. And I usually hit a wall at the end of the season. So you go to an all-inclusive and uh, you drink and you eat and you soak <laughs> up the sun and, and you veg and you try to hit the reset button. So that's what I'll be trying to do. Are you taking the sticks with you or no? No. You know, funny golf story. I look like I'm ready to go off. And today I'd love to, cause I won't play for a week and that's going to kill me. Uh, I am an avid golfer, but I I've been struggling this year. I've only broken 80 twice. Oh, so I no. started, oh. well, I know I, I know it sounds like I'm bitching, but <laughs> I started last season as a 2.3 index and finished as a 3.7. I went up to 5.1 earlier this week. Um, I think I'm down to 4.7 now, but I, I should be breaking 80 regularly. So I've only broken 80 twice. So yesterday I'm actually playing in uh we have these match play tournaments at my course, pretty screens. Yeah. So I'm actually playing in a match play with a guy. I'm playing great. I'm two under after five, one under after nine. So certainly on track for my best round of the year. And then it's sunny out, but the lightning thing goes off and we have to leave the course. So I was four up in my match, one under par <laughs> after nine and my round got blown up. So the golf gods don't seem to like me this year. Only, Thanks. only broke eighty twice. Yeah, I know. Awful, just brutal. <laughs> give it up. You better give hate it up. You're saying that. <laughs> uh, pretty screens. I always wanted to play there, so maybe we will. Okay. Hey, if you're in town, you let me know. Absolutely. And, uh, I'll bring you out. Thanks to you and Lou for joining us through the season. It's been fun, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And I'm going to make a bold prediction before I go, guys. Sure. So we had to wait 31 years for a battle of Alberta in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm-hmm. I predict there will be another one next season. When you look at the Pacific Division, I think there are three teams that are clearly going to be at the top. You got the Golden Knights, the Oilers, and the Flames. So we could get a first-round battle of Alberta, or we could get a second-round battle of Alberta, but I predict it'll happen again next year. It would be awesome. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, guys. Well, we're slowly moving into the summer months, and like any good teammate, the realtors over at the McIntosh Group will assist you in selling your home. Now, here's the goal. To sell your home for the most amount of money in the least amount of time with little to no stress. Wayne Gretzky was no stranger to breaking and setting records. Well, the Edmonton single-family real estate market, breaking records to kick things off here in 2022, slows down a little bit as we get into the summer, but that's no big deal. But it does tell you one thing. It's so important to hire a professional with the skills to work in the ever-changing market that we're living in. Now, if you're looking for a Hall of Fame experience when selling your home, then give Brent or anybody at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City a call at 780-464-0075, or you can find them online at mcintoshgroup.ca. Both buyers and sellers, give them a shout. They'll be able to tell you exactly how the market is going. And one last thing, when you give them a shout, make sure you tell them the outsider sent you. So there you go. We're kind of wrapping things up on the Outsiders powered by the McIntosh Group at Remax River City. Okay, just to kind of wrap. Hey, i got to tell you a quick story. This past weekend, I was in Fernie, British Columbia. I haven't been to Fernie since I was probably around eight. So that was a really long time ago. Forgot what a neat little place it is. The little downtown core that they have there. They've kept all of their old buildings. and They've all been now taken over by neat little stores. But we were there on the Saturday. That would have been game three between the Avalanche and the Oilers. And as we're driving through the little downtown core, there were these two Oiler fans walking, obviously heading to the bar to watch the game, and said to uh, to the stepson, Jake, I said, yell out, play La Bamba, baby, and see what kind of reaction you get. And he seemed a little tense to do that. And then realized, yeah, you know what, that would be kind of fun. We're dry- it was just driving by. 
And so rolled the window down and we said, hey, play La Bamba, baby. And those two guys turned and just like big expression on the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it was, uh, it's funny how that one little theme through the entire playoff run uh, was so much fun. I enjoyed that part of it. We talked about Ben, the play La Bamba baby stuff was enjoyable. And and then, of course, on social media, you were pointing this out, that uh, Los Lobos even jumped in. Yes, that was that was cool. And and if I if I was to project the member of Los Lobos at the end of the clip uh, that says play La Bomba, baby, he almost looked like a little bit of an adult version of Ben Stelter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, I, that was so cool that it gets to that place. I mean, how long does it take them to do that? And it makes the days of of a lot of people makes the day of of of. Uh, you know, like the Stelter family. And, um, you know, we all go for the hockey, but I tell you what, the stories, the backstories, and the stories that have legs and stand the test of time are almost always about the people. And uh, uh, yeah. That's what this and, and, and let's go quickly to the Moss Pit. Uh, there's got to be a statue of Joey down there. You know, I know yeah. that they've got their little uh, statue inside the door of the dressing room. Uh, yeah, where you can high five yeah. Joey on the way out, but if you're going to call it the Moss Pit, we got to have a little accurate accurate representation of Joey out in that. We got Bob and Doug McKenzie just a little bit down the down the street from them, so <laughs> yeah, it's time to get cool. uh, to get a statue of Joey in the Moss Pit, and uh, that was a blast. The city got a lot of good positive ink out of uh, the way people handle things there, so it was great. Hey, uh, let's wrap this baby up. You can check yep. us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It is at Outsiders2020. You can drop us an email. Here's our new email address. Love to hear from you. The email address, all in small letters, is theoutsiders at shaw.ca. So once again, theoutsiders at shaw.ca. Tell your friends to subscribe or follow us. And the RSS feed can be uh, attached so you can pop up on your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever site. Wherever you get your podcast from, that's where we will be. If you're not getting it from there, then make sure you email us and tell us, and we'll make sure that we get it on there as well. And we're also yeah. on YouTube. I don't know if it's going to slow. It may slow down a little bit for us over the summer months, but it's uh, it's been fun, Rob, and it's hard to believe it's been 110 episodes. No, that's uh, well. I lost track there for a little bit because I did uh, too. Yeah. Oh, that's probably why I did because uh, I cheat. I I think back to the when you mentioned them, and then I go, "Oh, this is episode one hundred and seven because I'm thinking about what you said, but you didn't mention it for a bit, and I'm going, no. "Gee, where are we here?" <laughs> well, we actually were trying to get Wayne Gretzky for episode ninety nine, but it's it, you know he's kind of busy. But let's uh, let's focus on kicking off with Gretz if we can in uh, September or October. But uh, anyway, it's been a blast. Robin broadcasts from the Lucky Sam studio in southwest Edmonton. I record from the Road 55 studio in downtown Edmonton, which is just a hockey puck's throw away from Rogers Place, which will be a little quieter. Good luck, by the way, to the Edmonton Oil Kings, who are in the Western Hockey League final right now, taking on a really tough Seattle Thunderbird team. The series, as of this taping, tied at one. Winner going on to the Memorial Cup. And uh, that's in St. John, if I'm not mistaken, this year. So uh, good luck to the team the rest of the way. Most of this series will be played in Edmonton. I, d- I don't know why that is. I think there's a uh, there's a arena issue in Seattle, but they'll play games three and four 
there, and then the rest will be played in Edmonton. This is going to go long. It's going to be a long series, and uh, we'll focus in on that maybe uh, next week as well. Robin, that's it. We guess we better get out of here, huh? Yeah, let's go. All right, that's it for today. Thanks, Robin. Talk to everybody next week. Storm in the castle. Road 55.